Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Piki mai kake mai and welcome to Our Changing World from RNZ National. The New Zealand Association of Scientists awards four medals each year. And last year, the renamed Beatrice Hill Tinsley Award became the first New Zealand Science Medal to be named after a woman. And it's great to see that this year the New Zealand Association of Scientists has added to that list by renaming its Science Communicator Medal the Cranwell Medal. Now, Lucy Cranwell was a botanist who specialised in ancient pollen. Along with her close friend, Lucy Moore, she studied botany at the University of Auckland. In 1929, when she was just 21, she became the first botany curator at Auckland Museum. She later moved to the United States, where she worked at Harvard University and the University of Arizona. Among her other awards, she was the first woman to receive the Royal Society Te Aparangi's Hector Medal. Now, just to remind you how small the New Zealand science community can be, I once had the pleasure of meeting Lucy Cranwell on one of her visits back home, which was a great honour. And in another nice connection, our next medal winner, the University of Otago's Carolyn Burns, who's been awarded the Marsden Medal, new astronomer Beatrice Hill Tinsley. Oh yes, that goes back a long way, but it's, and it's a very tenuous connection. But in the days when I was doing my BSc honours at the University of Canterbury, Beatrice, although we knew her as Beetle, was doing a master's in uh, physics at the University of Canterbury. And one of the requirements for sort of postgraduate um, courses at that stage in New Zealand and also in universities overseas was that you had to do a um, requirement for uh, reading knowledge of a foreign language and German was the one that was usually chosen in the sciences at uh, University of Canterbury. And so we were doing science German together. But that's when I sort of realised what an extraordinary person uh, Beatrice was and also what what a huge intellect she had because while we were struggling to come to grips with the sort of various names in German and learning our our basic German, uh, Beatrice would come into the class and she had already sort of mastered everything and was already two jumps ahead of the lecturer. I mean, she just had a capacity and a knowledge and an ability that was quite extraordinary. And yet she was so humble with it. So, you know, really that's my association with this extraordinary uh, woman who went on to achieve so much in her short life. Yeah. Well, she went on to study the stars. Tell me about what you went on to study. Well, I went on to study initially a combination of both freshwater and marine studies, but then subsequently specialised in freshwater in a field that is known in most of the rest of the world as um, limnology. That comes from the Greek word limne, meaning um, standing water, but is known in New Zealand now as uh, freshwater sciences. 
Now, what have you focused on in particular? I think it's zooplankton. It is. It's the ecology of the small organisms in, in the water that are in the pelagic zone, in other words, in the suspended zone. It is the plankton, but it also includes a lot of the um, microbial organisms, microbial food web, that most people tend to overlook as part of the plankton. So it's not only the um, small plants, the phytoplankton in the lakes, but it's also a lot of the other um, components of the lake water, small protozoa and um, heterotrophic, you know, nanoflagellates and bacteria and things like that. And then small crustacea, which is primarily known as the um, zooplankton to most people, uh, rotifers, and then onwards and up into the higher food chain, which ends in most lakes with the fish. So they're a very important part of the food web. Extremely important part of the food web, and it's these trophic interactions, the sort of feeding interactions, who eat whom um, within this very, very complex, um, well, two food webs in many ways. There's the microbial food web, and then there's the more classic food web that goes from the plants through to the um, small crustacean plankton um, to the fish, yeah, through that whole food web and the dynamics of that and how they alter and the effects of land use on the water quality and the dynamics of the functioning of those food webs are are what have been my main focus. You've looked a lot at zooplankton in the big lakes down in the South Island. Yes, our big, deep, many of them iconic lakes in the South Island have always been a source of fascination. Not only are they interesting from the point of view of you know, their depth and the whole sort of dynamics, the physics and chemistry of the functioning of those lakes, but also the biology as well, because they contain a lot of the tiny microorganisms, the small cyanobacteria in the water that also occur in the oceans of the world and contribute so much to the world's oxygen production, actually, because of their photosynthetic activity. So what's really interesting about these lakes, then? I imagine that they're quite a different place to study zooplankton. I'm thinking also of zooplankton in the ocean, of course. Yes, they are very interesting because of, you know, their whole contribution to the productivity of the lakes and oceans. But also in New Zealand, um, some of them have got some particular sort of outstanding um, characteristics. I mean, they're not unique, but they are of interest because they're more common in New Zealand. And that is the fact that we have a rather depauperate, is how one might explain it. In other words, species poor zooplankton, this is the crustacean zooplankton, relative to that in lakes overseas. And it also refers to some of the uh, feeding activities of the fish. For example, we don't have a large number of obligate um, piscivorous fish. These are fish that eat other fish. We don't have the bass and the pike and those fish that eat other fish. We just have the sort more like the salmon and the sort of herring type that eat zooplankton.
nor do we have the carnivorous zooplankton. In other words, the predatory zooplankton, these are crustaceans, predatory crustaceans that eat other crustaceans, and, you know, the filter-feeding ones and the more common calanoid copepods and things. We, we don't have the carnivorous ones. That means that our food chains are simplified and to some extent I think it has helped sort out some of the major interactions that are occurring because we're dealing with a simpler food chain where there aren't these other interactions that can confound you know, the pathways that we see and that's helped us I think sort out things. Also our deep southern lakes in particular are very nutrient poor and that increases their sensitivity to even very, very small amounts of nutrients, which means that um, their susceptibility to effects of eutrophication, particularly in the more sheltered bays and things like that, is likely to be enhanced. And indeed, we've been having some indications of um, deterioration in water quality, which is occurring in some of our deep southern lakes, and that's of great interest to me. What about issues like invasive species? Because in the last decade or so, we, we've had Didymo. I've been hearing about lake snow in some of the southern lakes as well. Mm-hmm. We are getting changes wrought by invasive species. In particular, the two that I have been looking at most recently are two species of the water flea, the crustacean Daphnia, Both have arrived um, from North America, according to the um, genetics, and those are two that are in the South Island. There's also another one in the North Island, although it may also be getting down to the South Island now. And these have a tendency to reproduce very quickly, and they also have a tendency to potentially outcompete our native species, the Daphnia carinata, now called Daphnia thompsoni. And this has knock-on effects that really we haven't even got to grips with yet because there are all sorts of subsequent ecosystem repercussions of having large numbers of these invasive species um, present in our lakes. We're only beginning to look at that. There's one possible benefit of those invasive species, or at least one or two of them that I've been investigating, and that is the potential to use some of them, because they build up large numbers, as biomanipulation, water quality control um, possibilities. Now, let me explain. First of all, the phytoplankton blooms, the algal blooms that are causing problems in a lot of lakes, are caused as a result of you know, increases in nutrients and things like that. Now, sometimes you get a situation in lakes, particularly in shallow lakes, where you simply can't reduce the nutrients enough and quickly enough to stop those algal blooms. And you can't even remove the nutrients that are present in the sediments um, at the bottom of the lake because there are just so many of them that you couldn't do it and you couldn't dispose of the material and whatever. So you're left with a situation that you want to reduce the nutrient inflow in order to reduce the algal blooms, but um, you're stymied. Well, at least in the short term. 
And so um, it's been suggested and has been used successfully overseas. You use the situation of the fact that these um, Daphnia, these water fleas, eat algae to increase the numbers of the water fleas so that they potentially can eat down the phytoplankton blooms um, before they get away and cause water quality problems. And our native Daphnia has never really been present in sufficiently large numbers or eat sufficiently large number of um, algae that it could be used as a potential biomanipulation tool. But the possibility exists now that we could use one of these invasive species, the Daphnia pulex, which um, can build up huge numbers at times, in order to reduce the algal blooms and improve water quality in some of our shallow lakes in New Zealand where we are having those problems. That's a very interesting idea, using one problem species to solve another problem species. Exactly. It just so happens that it is a problem invader here. In other countries, it's not an invader. Obviously, water quality is a big issue. It's media headlines all the time. Yes. What do you think? Well, I, I think we do need to do as much as we can and as soon as possible because it is not going to go away. It is just going to get worse. Thanks, Carolyn. And that was Carolyn Burns, Emeritus Professor in the Zoology Department at the University of Otago. And she was awarded the Marsden Medal for a lifetime of outstanding service to science. Thanks for listening. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on November the 2nd, 2017. We are on the web at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. And you can subscribe to our podcasts at Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Another RNZ podcast series you might like to try is The Long Way Home, in which we get to tag along with actor Bruce Hopkins as he walks the length of New Zealand along Te Araroa Trail. Bye for now. He kōna mai. Botox Cosmetic, Atabotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.